Good morning. Feels good to be back. It's been some time that I came to this service. I've kind of moved to a Saturday service, so sitting there, wow, so many people. Really good to be back. Last year, our Christmas season, we had tigers and giraffe on the stage, so I got to preach with some animals. Today, I get to preach with Rolex, okay? The closest I'll ever get to a Rolex. <laughs> anyway, we're on this series again where we want to share some stories of God's second chances. Our desire is that in this festive season, we are all distracted by different things. Clearing leave, all this gift exchange going on, where we take one gift and then exchange at the other. So we have this merry-go-round going around uh, with all these cakes, cookies, all those things. And we thought we want to remind our church that this festive season is more about celebrating this second chance that God has given to us, right? Uh, the concept of second chance really comes from two things. Number one, it's man's depravity. Now, I don't know about you, but every day I realize my own sinful nature, how hurtful I can be, how selfish. In fact, today, this morning, uh, I woke up, I play this game called fantasy football, okay? So how it works is, based on real-life performance, you select some players, and based on how they perform, whether they score a goal, uh, they had an assist, you get points based on the actual game. So the morning I woke up and one of the games actually got suspended because a footballer had a cardiac arrest. So I looked at, oh no, what's going to happen to my points? And I started Googling, hey, what's going to happen in this case? And I realized how selfish I am. I'm no concern about the guy whose life is in danger and I only care about my points. So I had to repent, but it's in this realization, it comes a natural appreciation for God's generosity, reaching out to us at every juncture, at our personal level. Last week, pastor used the story of Hosea. Hosea, a prophet, he was asked to marry a prostitute not only marry her, but to pursue her, win her back, love her again. And the story was meant to showcase God's heartbeat toward us. This relentless grace that's pursuing us even though we are unfaithful. Now, I love that so much. I don't plan to preach anything new today, but really to build on the concept that Pastor laid down. And I'm really trying to answer this question here. What does this second chance really mean to us? The prophet that I'm going to use today is by the name of Jonah. Now, Jonah is a very popular book, right? All of us would know Jonah. But sometimes, it, it is also a very misunderstood book. Uh, when I was young, I loved animals. So we had this pictorial Bible full of pictures, as a kid, you know, right? You don't read it seriously. I take out the book. Wow, Adam and Eve got animals. And then the rest, I'll just flip. Ah, boring, boring. And then I come to Jonah. Huge whale, wow. And I got attracted to it again. So Jonah, the story is used very commonly in kids' books to, you know. It's a very interesting story, but it's not the full story. 
some of the main questions about Jonah are questions like, was it a whale or a fish that swallowed Jonah? Or is it scientifically possible that a fish can store a man in its belly for three days? Now, if you have these kind of questions, later I'll channel it to Pastor Tim because I don't know how to answer because this is not what the book is trying to share with us. A pastor talked about a Bible class. So a sneak peek here, one of the first things we got to do when we read contextually is to understand the literary genre of the book, right? So if you look at verse 1 here, it kind of tells us what book is it. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you are a Bible geek like me, go back, go to Jonah in your U version, go to a few books above Jonah and a few books below. You'll find this phrase popping out very often. Now the word of the Lord came to so and so. It's Hosea, Jeremiah, Micah, they would all have this phrase. And this phrase tells us this is a prophetic book. Now, a prophet, we often think is someone who can predict the future. It's not. Sometimes it's about the future, but the role of a prophet is to share a message from God. So it's telling us this book of Jonah, more than this interesting story, is a book about God's heartbeat and a message that He wants to share. So as we come today, Father, I pray that we'll cut through all the noise, uh, we'll not be distracted, but we'll be able to focus on the message that you want to deliver to us. Let us be faithful and open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump right into Jonah. So the word of the Lord came to him, and the Lord asked him, Arise, go to Nineveh. It's a great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So it's an evil city. Jonah heard this instruction. He rose to flee to Tarshish, another place, from the presence of the Lord. He went on Joppa, found a ship, and he went to Tarshish. So what's going on here? A bit of geographical context. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire is like the big bad guy of the ancient world. It's the military firepower. They were extremely good in capturing territories, and they were also extremely brutal. Now, this picture you see here, uh, it's a part of a wall that archaeologists found. It's a project commissioned by the king of Assyria to jot down the deeds of the Assyrian Empire. So we have all sorts of things that they found, people being beheaded, people being poked on stakes. And this picture here is someone being skinned alive. So they are that kind of empire, brutal, bloodthirsty, okay? So Jonah received an instruction to go here. And this is what he did. From where he was, somewhere near Joppa, it was an 800-kilometer journey to Nineveh. He said, let me not go there. Let me run 4,000 kilometers away to Tashish. Tashish 
is what we call the end of the known world at that point. It's the last part before you hit open sea. So essentially, Jonah is saying, wow, this instruction, let me run as far as possible as I can, okay? Now, the big question to unlock everything about Jonah is this question. Why did Jonah flee? Why did he run away? Why did he disobey God? Was it he was worried about his life? Uh, Is it that he's fearful of the brutality of the empire? Fortunately, we don't need to speculate uh, because in chapter 4, it tells us why he ran. See this. Jonah is speaking to God and says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This means when he received the instruction. That is why I made haste to flee to Tashish. For I knew you are gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. So Jonah is telling God, I'm running away because you are too gracious. Why is Jonah so upset about God being gracious? We got to understand Jonah has a bad story. So if you go to 2 Kings, you'll find this is not Jonah's first commission. He was asked to go and speak to this king called Jeroboam II. It's an evil king. And Jonah was asked to go there not to rebuke him, but to bless him and say that God would expand the territory of this evil king, okay? So Jonah went, preached a message. What happened? The king got worse and worse and worse. So Jonah is developing this thought. Wow, if you show grace, if you give a second chance to people who do not deserve it, bad people, they will not repent. It will not work out. They will only get worse. They do not deserve a second chance at all. So Jonah is essentially saying, I think I know about grace more than God. I think that I know God's business better than Him. So I'm not going to be part of this foolish plan to go to Nineveh and get them to repent. Let me run as far as possible. So that's what he did. But God did not give up. God pursued him. Jonah was on a boat and there was a big storm that, you know, shaked up the ship. So it's threatening to break up. There were other people on board. It wasn't Jonah himself. And these people, these sailors, were so afraid, they started praying to their own God And I want you to see what Jonah did here. Jonah knows that this storm is because of him. He had no regard of the safety of anyone else on the boat. And he says, let me go down and have a good sleep. I'm ignoring God, essentially. Now the captain came. It's like, bro, what you doing? There's a storm. A shipwreck's going to happen. Why are you sleeping? Start praying, bro. Maybe your God will give a thought to us. And this captain and the sailors, they started casting lots. It's an ancient way of decision making, right? So they cast lots, the lots fell on Jonah. So they are saying, it's Jonah's fault that we are in this mess. 
again they approached Jonah, challenging him, hey, we're in this because of you. Tell us, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? And Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And these guys might be wondering, so you worship the God that has made the sea, you are running away from him through a boat. Are you out of your mind? And they said to Jonah, what can we do with you? Tell us. We don't want to be shipwrecked. Verse 12, Jonah said, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. The sea will quiet down, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Now, don't for a second think that Jonah is being noble here. Don't for a second think that Jonah is trying to save all the other people on the ship. See, what is one surefire way that Jonah would never have to get to Nineveh? By dying. So Jonah is saying, okay, let me die and put the blood on the hands of these sailors. Then I wouldn't have to be part of this Nineveh plan. Now, he didn't care about the sailors, but the sailors cared for him. The sailors tried their best to get back to dry land. When they could not, they started praying to Jonah's God, Yahweh. They said, oh, Yahweh, please spare us. We don't mean to lay harm on this man. Then they picked up Jonah, hurled him to the sea, and the sea stopped raging. So essentially, Jonah kind of got what he wanted at this point. He said, yes. I'm sinking to the sea. Now I don't need to be part of this plan. But God was really not done with him. The Lord appointed a great fish, swallow up Jonah. See this. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God was wrestling with him. Three days and three nights later, then only Jonah started praying to God. Now we go through the prayer later, but what you got to know at this point, after the prayer, God spoke to the fish, vomited out Jonah, and we are back to square one. If you see the parallel uh, in Jonah 3, it's the same thing as Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah second time, arise, go to Nineveh and call them out. Now this time, Jonah used a very different strategy. He knows he can't run away. So he says, okay, let me go. He goes to Nineveh, it's a big city, and he starts preaching. He says, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Now I want you to think with me. Imagine pastor asked me to preach today. Introduce me, I come on stage, I say, yet 40 days, and Puchong shall be overthrown. And I just walk out. Wow, immediately all of you will take out a phone texting pastor, your guy is trying to sabotage you. He's not being serious here. There's no mention about God. There's no mention about repentance. What is this guy doing? So Jonah here, he's trying to sabotage the plan, saying, I can't run away. Let me do the bare minimum. I'm not going to talk about God. I'm not even going to talk about repentance. I'll just say they are going to be overthrown. That way, no way they're going to repent that way. But the exact opposite happens. The people of Nineveh believe God. They call for fast. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is simply uh, a very uncomfortable shirt. 
made of goat hair, it means humility and repentance before God, right? So these people repented and they said, not just one, two people, it's the greatest of them to the least of them. Not just that, the word reached the king of Nineveh. I want you to imagine this guy, he's the military superpower, all the armies. And with eight words, he repents, he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a decree. He said, not just us, even my animals, they're going to fast. And let everyone turn from our evil way and from the violence that is in our hands. Wow. I want you to think from the mind of a prophet or preacher, isn't that a good day in the office? Eight words. Everyone repented. Wow. If I preach eight words, everyone repents. I'm going to preach every day, Pastor. <laughs> so the preacher is supposed to be very happy, right? Such an efficient day, high output. But see what Jonah felt. He was exceedingly displeased and angry. And he prayed to God saying, isn't this what I told you, God? This is why I didn't want to come. You are too gracious to people who did not deserve it. Now, Lord, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Wow, what a drama queen. And I want you to see God's response. God knocks, nudges him and asks him, Hey, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? How many of you heard that nudge before? Is it right to be jealous? Is it right to be greedy? Well, Jonah ignored that nudge. He went out of the city. He found a place where he could see the city. He made a booth. He sat there and he's thinking, okay, let me see if these Ninevites, their hearts change again. From repenting, I want to see them going back to their old ways and I want to see the wrath of God falling on these guys. So he's waiting there, seeing, and God nudges him again. So speaking to him doesn't work. He's unreasonable right now. Let me make a plan. Made a plan and provided a shade for Jonah, okay? Now, first time in the whole of Jonah, Jonah is happy. He says, yay, plan, comfortable. But the next day, God sent a worm, attacked the plant, and it withered. So no more shade, no more comfort. And what happens to Jonah here? He gets angry again. It is better for me to die than to live. And God nudged Jonah once again. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Wow. And the Lord said, you cared for the plant which you did not labor for it. You did not make it grow. You're not even good friends. You only know each other for one day. There's no emotional connection here. But you care for the plant. Can you imagine my heart? For these 120,000 people in Nineveh, which they don't know what's right from wrong, and also their cows. So what's Jonah's response? We don't know. The book ends here. Fun, right? And it's telling us something very important. 
the book is not about Jonah. It's about God and his heartbeat. And how will we respond to it? Jonah's response is not important. Our response is what he's looking for here. So what have we learned so far? What have we learned anything new about this second chance? Well, for one, one major theme that I see is that it doesn't matter where our starting point is, God wants to give us a second chance. Some of us may be running away today, like Jonah, from the call of God on our life. He's going to pursue us. Some of us are in the belly of the fish, dark, hopeless. We can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. He's going to save you, maybe after wrestling with you for three days. Some of us, we know we are like the Ninevites. There's immorality in our life. And God wants to send someone to speak to you. And some of us may be like Jonah in Nineveh, angry at God. He's going to nudge at you. No matter where our starting point is, our God wants to offer a second chance. And we love that, right? This is very easy to swallow. No matter where I am, God is reaching out to me. What I think can be a little bit misaligned or difficult for some of us is when we think of the purpose of this second chance. Many times when we think of this purpose, we think of a change in result. We think, oh, second chance, now smooth sailing life. Second chance, now problem solved. Second chance, now goals achieved. Now, God can do that, but I want to propose that that's not His main priority. His main priority is not to change the outcome, it's to change us. Many of us, we want a different outcome, but we are not willing to change ourselves. We are not willing to let God change us. Uh, my wife and I, we watch a YouTube channel called The Try Guys. Uh, what they do, they, they have this show called Without a Recipe, and they are given this difficult technical dishes, macarons, s'mores, wedding cakes, and they're supposed to make all these without a recipe, right? So they'll go in the kitchen and they'll start putting in random stuff, flour, eggs, and more often than not, it turns out horrendous. Imagine bread, hard as rock, squishy cakes, and usually that's their result. Now, sometimes they are given a second chance to redo the same dish. Imagine them putting in the same ingredients, doing the wrong techniques, messing up. Will they get a different result? Probably not. Only when they change their approach, they get a very different result. And I want to propose, only when we allow God to change us, the outcome of our life changes. And some of you may be a little bit disappointed here. Wow, so you mean God doesn't just fulfill my desires? I want you to think a little bit. Many of us are parents here, right? What is more loving? Option one, your kid asks for anything and you just give it to him. You fulfill all the wishes of your kid. Option two, you journey with him, you shape him, 
you train him, you develop him into someone better. It's option two, right? Isn't it far better that our God is not a glorified genie that fulfills every wish, but a God who's patient with us, who comes to our level, develops us, shapes us, molds us? Isn't that far better? See this, Jonah running away. God worked with him to return him to his call. Jonah in the belly of the fish, hopeless. He wrestled with him, shaped him before saving him. Ninevites, wicked. God didn't say, I'm going to spare you, but you continue being wicked. He wanted them to repent. Jonah and Nineveh, unreasonable. God didn't say, now continue being angry, whatever you like it. He nudged him so he could understand God's grace. God's second chance doesn't leave us as we are. He shapes and molds us into His image. So how are we going to respond today? I want to end by bringing back up the prayer of Jonah in the belly of the fish. Imagine it's dark, it's smelly, fish bones, seaweed all around, the bile of the fish on your skin, and in that condition, there's a few, thing, few things that he does where I think we can learn from. First one, he calls out to the Lord in his distress and he knows that the Lord answers him. Some of us today, we are in the belly of the fish. Maybe the first thing we got to do is cry out. Some of us, we don't cry out because we think he's not there. He is there. Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Here Jonah is saying God is the one who got him in this spot. Is it really? Isn't it because of his own disobedience? Now, I don't know if there's an element of blaming here, but most scholars see this as Jonah acknowledging the sovereignty of God in his life. Jonah is saying, you got me here and I know you're going to work something out of it. Some of us, we are in a pit and we got to say, I trust that God can work out of this mess. Verse 4, Jonah says, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, dark, painful, that wasn't the greatest pain to him. It was a separation from God and he had to turn and look to the presence of God. Some of us today, that's what we got to do. Turn to his presence. Verse 5, 6, again Jonah explains his condition. But verse 7, that's when things started to change. It says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Remember is such a big concept in the Bible. It means looking back at what God has done, trusting His character, and believing that He's going to do it in the present. Some of us have got to look back today. Remember the time He has delivered you. Remember the time He has healed you. He has answered you. He has shaped you. Verse 8, 
those who pay regard to vain idols. This is Jonah speaking to himself. And you're thinking, what? What are you talking? What, what idol here? There's only fish bones, seaweed. Where? Where's the idol? Jonah was the idol. He was recognizing that by running away from God, believing that he knew best, that is idolatry. And Jonah here is saying, man, I was on the throne of my life. Now I got to get off. God, sit on the throne of my life. And that's what some of us have to do today. Lastly, he's still in the belly of the fish, yet his posture shifts to thanksgiving, to praise, to proclamation. It's not that his situation isn't bad. He was so confident in God's character. Now, I don't know which part of his prayer spoke to you, but we want to give you a bit of time today to respond. I know all of us had a tough year. I had a whirlwind of a year. Yet in every point and difficulty, I saw how God could shape me. My situation is like verse 3, acknowledging that in whatever situation, God can work on me. I had my first medical scare this year. I found blood in my urine, went to the hospital, found out it was kidney stones, but I saw God shaping my lifestyle after that. This is the first time in many years I had a drop in income, 20-30%. But through that, is God working and helping me realize there's so much excess in my life that I don't need. I need to be contented. There were so many challenges, ministry transitions. I felt I disappointed people. And God used that to make my heart right again. I don't know what you're going through today, but we want you to respond to God. It could be crying out. It could be coming off the throne of your life. It could be seeing that He can work in difficult situations. We want to respond because He is a God of second chances. He is a God who listens and He is a God who wants to shape and mold us into something better. So Father, we come to You today. We recognize that we need You more than ever. And we are so grateful that You are God who hears us we are so grateful that you are God who doesn't just give us whatever we want, but comes to our level, nudges us, shapes us, molds us, develops our character. We know you can work in any situation that we are in. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.